And now this meeting is being recorded. You know what I'm going to start with today? What is that? You're going to say, just watch it. Listen to this. Hi, guys. There you go. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Yeah. That's our because we, we keep saying day after day, oh, we got lots of emails from all these nice people. But we don't no, read them. Oh, I know. And we, we should acknowledge their efforts. Should we not? Yeah, this one, by the way, I didn't include. I was going to send it to you, and I just got. Anyway, Brad Urbanowitz says, yes. Hi, guys, on Monday show. This is the most current response. You guys were talking about subscriptions for podcasts and how there isn't many of them. He says, you're right, there aren't many, though I paid a lifetime subscription to this one podcast, and he goes on to talk about it, but he says a few of them have Patreon pages, as we do, that their podcast, though, exists behind a paywall, which, you know, was never really in our, I mean, we thought about it for a little bit at the beginning, but it was really not economically going to make any sense, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, theoretically, right? If you listen to us on Spotify, on some level, you're paying for it because you need to pay for access to Spotify. But at the same time, there are other services that are free that were available through. But the uh, straight up paywall, like the example I gave you of David Marsden. um, Yeah, they're. They're few and uh, far between. Yeah. If it works for you, I guess super. Well, he says uh, at the very uh, end of his email, he says, uh, I've also seen a few pages that do podcasts behind walls. Some of them are pulling in, I guess he has estimated, you know, 5000 to to almost $20,000 a month. And then he, my favorite part of the email, I should have said this because he says, sorry for the length of this email. That's how you know it's a Hundy P. Because <laughs> a Hundy P knows Humble and Fred don't like to read too much. Hi, guys. All right. Hi who guys. you got? Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Uh, this is uh, from Best of Luck and Safe Travels, Laurier Shank. Wow, Laurier Shank. This is directed at you, Howard. You mentioned on your show uh, you were going to the U.S. next month and uh, you would have to pay for a PCR test to come back. We came back mid-December and got our test for free at curative.com. Uh, took the test at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday, got our results emailed to us on a Wednesday night around 10 p.m. We crossed by land, so we had flex within the 72-hour window. Anyway, here's the link if you're interested. Thank you for the uh, information. Laurier Shank from Ottawa. I, I'm sure you've uh, thought that far ahead and uh, what you're going to do. Yeah, I mean, it's it really is, as we found out from going to Italy, one of the things that travel now presents is not just show up with your passport or ID. You've got to sh- figure out in time when all these tests are going to be mm-hmm. done. But um, I've already I've booked the test to go, which is a rapid test. And we've done some research in the area as to get a, uh, a PCR test to come home. Maybe now's the time to throw just to pause here and just talk about what we were talking about before the show started, which is mm-hmm. the CDC travel advisories. Yes. Because now don't. the CDC in the States is saying, don't come to Canada. Right. And what are we saying? Are we are Canadians discouraged? Well, we're, we're only only go to the United States for essential reasons, which is pretty much what it's been for the longest time. Uh, you know, since the border opened, it's yeah, the border's open, but we still advise that. You know, you don't use that for holiday reasons, which a lot of people are, obviously, including a lot of snowbirds. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we're level four, very high risk 
according to the CDC, in uh, coming to Canada, which is fine. It seems a little hysterical, but meanwhile, you know, they should look in the mirror. <laughs> well, that, that's when you first told me, and, and I, we, we're going to talk about some numbers here in a second, but when we were talking about that before we hit record, I, I was a little surprised. Are they doing that in response to something? Like, I, I mean, I know our numbers. We, you, you, The very first thing Fred said to me this morning was, uh, we've set a record. Actually, but this is a great uh, perspective in how many cases we now have. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Um, the first 40 days of Omicron, we've had more cases than all of 2020 with the original strain, I guess, which was Delta or the variant of Delta, whatever that was. But there's in 40 days, there's been 777,000 cases of Omicron in Canada. Um it took 370 days uh, to reach that in 2020. So it just gives you an idea of how contagious this strain is. Now, now you keep fl- saying 2020. Do you also mean 2021 or the no, entire? No, no in, in 20. No, from the from the very first case in December 19th. Right. Right. To reach 777,000. It took 300 and some odd days. Okay. Right. So the same number has only taken 40 days since Omicron. I got it. Because, but you're not counting yeah. all the cases since the beginning. You're just saying in, in, no, no. to get yeah. to this number, it took this many days. Mm-hmm. I get it. Okay. Um, what was the other point I was going to make? Uh, oh, you know, the, the flip side of that is, you know, in April and May, I think it was April, maybe early May, there was like... 900, almost 1,000 people in our ICUs in the spring. Mm -hmm. And now, yesterday it was 438, leveled off a little bit, only went up by about 12. So, you know, there's numbers within the numbers. No, no, for sure. And remember, Mm -hmm. last April and May, we were locked down for six weeks. Yeah. Uh, We're going to get into some more of this uh, as we go through the show today here. We're not really starting the show. This is just the pre-show now. If I may add to Laurier Shank, I mean, their experience mirrored what I went through when I was in uh, South Carolina in November. It was, uh, you know, no sweat, very easy, free test. It was a PCR, uh, got it at a uh, one of those uh, drugstores, CVR there in, uh, in Myrtle Beach, and uh, no problem. I don't know if it's a little more stressful now, but uh, you'll find out. Well... Yeah, we, we, we looked at that, and I, I thank you, by the way, Laurier Shank. Laurier Shank, thank you. Uh, I sent that to Rachel, and I said, what do you think of this? And we, we looked. There is a curative. That company has, there's a, about 30 minutes from where we're staying in Palm Springs. Uh, there's one of those locations that I might use. So, again, mm-hmm. thank you very much for this information. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm skipping Hi over guys. Dave Little. Thank you very much for your note, Bradley. Uh, uh, Hyder, thank you very much. Uh, talking about some COVID stuff. Um, this is a note here I wanted to uh, mention. Hi, Howard and Fred. I'll start by saying I'm not surprised at Phil's departure. It appeared to me that a year or maybe even a couple years ago, you guys were trying to give him a hint to move on. Well, not really. But unfortunately, I feel Phil doesn't take a hint easily. <laughs> also, seemed like Fred and somewhat Howard were getting frustrated at his lack of interaction. 
On to the COVID stuff. I'm not a fan of Rogan, but he recently did an interview with Robert Malone about COVID and vaccines. In no way was or is it about anti-vax or COVID denying. It was so informative and just a great interview. I highly suggest you guys give it a listen. Regards, Jeremy Long. Uh, so fine for, yeah, Rogan, some of his stuff is, you know, fine. And, and that's, you know, he's, he's very entertaining. He's the most uh, popular podcaster in the world. But I wanted to comment on the first part of that. Did you? Uh, no, you go ahead. And then I'll comment on the second half. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we love Phil and, and Phil's been with us for a long time. In fact, when we get to the real show. You know, one of the people on the show today was with us from the very beginning as well. And I think about when Julie Adam and and we all started together and Phil and it was great. But, you know, that job, as I said this to somebody the other day, might have been yesterday, I said, because they asked me about Phil. I said, you know, that job that Phil was doing was not designed to be a job for life in our industry. It was designed to give you some experience. And then eventually you move on. You know, as I said to you on the, on the day that it, we announced it, you know, everyone comes and goes, and it was the end goes part of Phil's time with us, and ultimately, it'll be great for him. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I would, uh, you know, trying to give him a hint to move on, yeah, I mean, if not on the show, off the show, many times, asked Phil about his plans, you know. Are you applying, especially a few years ago, are you applying to other radio stations uh, that you might be able to work at full time as a regular employee? But he didn't seem that interested. He was happy with the humble and the Fred, which is great. Just let me just jump back in quickly, though. We kind of created our own, uh, not a monster, but we created a situation that was very comfortable for Phil. And I think when we moved into this location... At that point, we had several different podcasters working around us. Mark, uh, Mark Hebsher was around, Liz West, a few others, Barb Paluska, which came into our lives at that time. And so there was kind of a bit of activity here after the show that Phil was doing. And I remember sitting, listen, long after you'd go, I'd have a coffee with Phil the odd time. And I said, man, this is a great opportunity for both of us. I said, you know, at the time, I didn't know how long you were going to stay with me. Right. And I said, hey, we could create a, a podcasting producing and we could get, you know, I I said, this would be a great job for you, Phil. Kind of what Toronto Mike has done. But I said to Phil, I'm not going to drive this. Yeah, I'll bring in the odd client, but you manage this. This could be your thing. But, it, you know, listen, it didn't work out. Um, but part of it was because it was such a nice little comfortable thing for him. You never had to worry about going out and getting another radio job. Yeah, and, you know, you can't put your, you know, you can't... Uh, can't always figure out what somebody else is thinking. I mean, you and I, where we come from, um, what we did in our careers, to have access to a ready-made studio and say, here, here are the keys, fella. Start up your own business with this facility. Um, we were always surprised he didn't take more advantage of that. But for whatever reason. Yeah, uh, again, he had, a, part he had of other his, interests, I guess. And, and yeah. <laughs> Yes, he did. He did have other interests. He had listen. He was raising a family. He couldn't. Yeah, the sister daughters. The sister daughters. And like I said, I think we created a, a little bit of a situation here where he didn't really have to push it too much. And I think Phil's going to be great. And we miss yes. Phil. We love Phil. He's a character, and he'll just and and one of the the, the sweetest, smartest people in the thirty two years we worked with was Phil. Do you want to comment on Rogan here before we move on and maybe start the show eventually here? And Phil liked his steak. Remember, 
in the early <laughs> days, we'd go to a restaurant. When restaurants were open and you felt safe, we'd always order him a steak and then ask him, and he took us up on it a yeah. couple of times, would you like another one? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was great. He'd have a second steak. Yeah. Uh, are you um, going to comment on Rogan or should we yeah, start? Yeah, just the Rogan. I, I read this email and then I went to Spotify to the Rogan show and it was like three hours and 20 minutes. Right off the bat, that is a turnoff for me. Honestly, I, I like I lose my breath. It's like, wow, like how much of that am I really going to want to hear and how much am I going to have to listen to to hear what I want to hear, which is great. If you have three hours to listen to Joe Rogan and this doctor talk about uh, COVID, that's that's great. And I will say this, Robert Malone, if you do a little bit of research, he's a bit of a whack job. Yes, he was part of the development of the vaccine, but he's got a little bit of a pickle up his ass, too, uh, for several reasons, which I won't get into now. You can do your own research. There's always a story. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, there's a few of these emails, and I don't want to gloss over them completely, but Debbie Lynch uh, tells us uh, Ray Donovan is on uh, Craven HBO. She, su- she suggests I watch the last two seasons uh, before the movie. Uh, Mike Parker. Yeah, because there's a, apparently a Ray Donovan yeah. movie coming out. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is what yeah. we kind of were. Yeah. Hi, guys. Mike Parker. I'm not sure if this is real or not. It says, oh, I know. I think this is in response to you saying that. Yes. That what they should do is, was it give hand jobs? Yeah, hand jobs for bad. testing? The COVID That's how we test te- wasn't for guys, wasn't a hand job. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Everybody would get tested. Uh, that's right. Mike says, it goes to show you that Zanzibar was ahead of the curve. First offering vaccine, vaccine vaccinations and coming soon, boyfriend, did, 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 hand job COVID testing. Uh-huh. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, Jim McDonald, love the number one in 97 show. Uh, do you want to answer this question? I can't remember that about, about the uh, music. Okay. Well, where is that? Oh, how are you able to? Oh, <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Because we get that asked a lot. Uh, how we play music on our show. Because on, on number one in 97, we were playing full songs on yes, the uh, podcast not, that we did. Which you're not supposed to do. Really? Theoretically, yes. But you know, we have a we have the basic uh, agreement or association through SoCan, um, but not to the point where we could play full songs every day on the podcast. Oh, okay. So, uh, if you have if you play songs sort of as part of your information, almost like foreground. Yeah, no, Jimmy. There's you know, there's some loose gray areas there, but then if you have a podcast about music, you can't use that excuse. You know what I'm saying? There, there's a lot of different explanations or uh, situations for the use of music, but obviously we we don't play music on a daily basis as part of the show, which would again would not be allowed without some kind of compensation. Uh, Jim McDonald is a, this is a grown up senior buying, senior buying strategic sourcing, life sciences, ATS automation. I, I hope he's okay with me saying that because it just sounded so impressive. 
He says, feel free to let the sponsors know that I, as a listener, I love this. He says, I, as a listener, listen to every episode 100%. The way you do the spots are entertaining and I enjoy them. Whereas the beloved Smartless, I skip the spots every time. Keep up the great work and thanks for the big free ass, big, thanks for the free big ass fan merchandise. Well, thank you, Jim. I've noticed a couple of times listening to um, Smartless, they break for a commercial and there's not one there. Have you noticed that? On I don't, but I listen to it on on the original on the um, Amazon site now. I don't listen oh, okay. to it there, on Smartless. There's no anymore. commercials on that. No, that's the whole oh, point. Okay. Oh, okay. So maybe that's part of it because I've been listening, I guess, on Spotify, and they'll go, uh, and now this, and then there's nothing, and then the show comes right back. So they've recorded. You know the uh, gateway to the commercials, but then there's nothing there. Uh, it's just an observation. Well, like Charlie, my eldest daughter, first to COVID, the COVID child. She, my daughter, had COVID in in November. Is what I'm referring to, and uh, she's the one that gave me the heads up that Smartless actually, if you if you have Amazon. Um, whatever you can Amazon Music, you get Smartless a week before because that's their deal mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. them. So I listened to the full show yesterday that you won't hear on Spotify for a week, and it mm-hmm. was David Byrne. Mm-hmm. And was it, that was that uh, Will's uh, guest? Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, what you find out in the episode is that their producers are the ones obviously tracking these people down right. to a, de- a big degree. But Will was the one that presented it. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. It was a great... I listened to it during the day, so I didn't fall asleep. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. it, was, it was cool listening to David Byrne. But, you know, the problem with the show, if I may be a bit of a radio nerd, is that there's just nobody on the, the three of them. None of them have any broadcast experience, which is cute and everything, but except, except when you want to hear an answer from the guest. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, now it's to the point where Will's just funny... You know, which is great. Sean doesn't get to say much, although ironically, my you know my opinion of him has changed because he acts he actually asks the best questions. And mm-hmm. Justin Bateman, Jason Bateman, you know he's great and everything, but he, he's just he can't ask a question. Mm-hmm. He he's really smart, and I, I went and did a. I don't know what made me think of this. You know, the three of them are worth quite a bit of money, but you know, you'd be surprised who's who's the worth whose net worth according to the internet is the highest. Who would you think? Oh, Sean, I would think. No. No? Will Arnett? Yeah. Really? Oh. But not by about like Sean's at twenty million according to the internet. And Bateman and Will Arnett are close, but Bateman's at thirty, Arnett's at thirty five. Hmm. I would think Sean with that sitcom for years and then syndication. Uh, I don't know. That, that, that's why that that was why I, I uh, that. No, no, I understand. I but you think about it. I did. Ozark's entering season four. Uh, Bateman gets 300,000 an episode to act in it. Forget. I don't even know what he gets for directing and, and whatever, creating it. Uh, anyway, it's been uh, quite a thank you for everyone. If you want to email us, well, there's a few more, but we should actually start the show. Mm-hmm. Humble and Fred at HumbleandFredRadio.com. Uh, we always love hearing from you. Of course, our Facebook page, Instagram, and our the Twitters. All right, let's start this. The following episode. 
Oh, they've got to do that part. The following first. episode of Humble and Fred is brought to you by Gig Sky, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Bodog, Health Gauge, Canna Doer, and our newest sponsor, GoDaddy, powering small business and entrepreneurs for over 25 years and serving over 20 million customers worldwide. And now, here are two men who have a combined 80 years of broadcast experience and are still trying to figure it out. It's Humble and Fred. Yeah, do that for sure. Enjoy our show any way you can. Tell friends. You're going to do uh, that one, friend, Chamber Plan Sherpa and Gig Sky. Let's uh, start with our friends from Bodog. Yeah, we've talked to a about Bodog and how much... Bodog. Bodog. And, uh, you know, how much fun it is to wager on professional sports done responsibly. And at Bodog, I mean, you can uh, wager on all... Uh, you know, the major sports, including the National Hockey League, where uh, tonight the Maple Leafs and Vegas Golden Knights is an absolute virtual toss up. OK, so the Leafers in Vegas is a toss up. Uh, so deal with that any way uh, you choose. But uh, Bodog, you know, they've been uh, entertaining Canadians uh, for uh, what, since 1994. Uh, whether it's their, uh, you know, their uh, casino or their uh, poker rooms or, uh, again, any form of gambling entertainment, it's all there. Uh, Industry-leading odds, world-class sportsbook, uh, feature-rich poker room. Uh, yeah, uh, since 1994, Bodog has been around. And, again, all the major sports and a lot more. If you want to spend some time there, really go to Bodog and see. You can uh, all sorts of European sports. You, I mean, you can wager on cricket for crying out loud. What? Yeah, Bodog. Bodog. <laughs> that uh, that little thing you were doing there at the beginning. It reminded me of something, and I uh, I'm going to play it for you in a second if I can. Uh, Hummel and Fred, happy to have you along. And, of course, our newest sponsor, GoDaddy. Powering small business and entrepreneurs for 25 years. Stand by. Just make sure I got the right one here. Uh, brought to you by GoDaddy. Powering small business and entrepreneurs and servicing over 20 million customers worldwide. Fred. Would you let me start this again? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> this program is brought to you by GoDaddy. Powering small business and entrepreneurs for over 25 years and servicing over 20 million customers worldwide. GoDaddy is where people come to get a domain, create a website, and everything else they need to get their business online. You know what I'm talking about. There's no better, there's no better time than now to get your idea online. With GoDaddy, you can find your domain, easily create your website, and finally bring it to life. With GoDaddy's free and friendly 24-7 phone support, they're also here to help you every step of the way. You can even start your website for free with GoDaddy. No credit card is even required. Come on, people. Visit GoDaddy.ca to learn more. So yesterday after the show, 
I had to do some editing. And, um, you know, I'm okay at it. I can kind of... You know, anyone who's used, you know, GarageBand or whatever, it's not that hard, but, you know, it's not my first skill. Although I did used to have to do, Dan Duran would tell you that one of the jobs both of us had when we were starting out was producing commercials. He was my boss. It's a long story. But, you know, I used to have to edit. And I I guess, did you ever have to edit anything with uh, actual tape when you were a reporter? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we have to cut tape and then you'd have mm-hmm. to splice it out and then you'd have to get the other stuff and, you know, tape it together. <laughs> and then cart it. And then cart it. But, you know, now, you know, it's a lot easier. I'm, I, the only reason I'm hesitating is I did some editing yesterday and, and there was a moment in the show where you made a noise. <laughs> I, uh, I thought, oh, I should. I just remember this now. I said, I should get this noise because it's so weird. Oh, oh. So the problem is, I can't, and I, I can't play. You can hear it, but I can't play it to you. Mm. Can you hear that? No. Uh, damn it! Is it what um, I think it is? Is it? Is it what? No. What do you think it is? Oh, I thought maybe a bodily function type thing. Oh no, no! It's just this mm. noise. I think I figured it out here. It's this noise you made. And um, I think I can play it here. Oh, oh. Dan Duran wet. <laughs> I don't know why he's doing that. Oh, oh, oh. Who's got the... T- oh, I see. Okay, did you hear that little noise you made? Yeah, I went, ho, ho, ho. It's just... It was pretty cute, actually. Here, I'm going to add this sound. Let me, let me see how fast I can do this. Okay, there you go. Now I have it. All right. Hunt. I just have to stop this other thing. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> so I'm editing it. And in the middle of this, you know, conversation we were having with somebody, you just made the little cute little Freddy noise. Oh, oh. Oh, oh. Oh, oh. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what I was responding to. I, I can't even recall. It, I couldn't either. Just when you actually, it's just one noise you made. Just went, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> You sounded very, very sweet. Um, okay, welcome to the show. We mentioned that Julie Adam is uh, returning to our show. I don't know, for you non-broadcasters, how do we describe her? She's the vice president of Rogers Media, uh, Rogers Radio. What's her actual title? Uh, Howard, you're putting me on the spot. Oh, come but on, the thing man. is, with, Ju- with Julie, it changes all the time. She just keeps rising through the ranks of yeah. Rogers. Yes. I don't know. She may own the place now, for all I know. But she again, is, very, um, yeah. Well, she when we, we as far as we know, she was the vice president of Rogers Radio, and she is now also an author of something called Imperfectly Kind, Why Kindness is the Must-Have Superpower That You Need to Lead. And I couldn't agree more. Imperfectly Kind is an inspiring collection of Julie's thoughts and ideas on why kindness is the must-have superpower. Can't wait to talk to her, because she was, you know what? She was always so kind to us. And, you know, that is, um, it's so true, too, you know, in this, the generation that's, um, you know, the 20, 30-somethings, very important, (laughs) 
because even Howard, when we first get in this business, you know, there's guys that ruled with an iron fist. And, oh yeah, you know, the fear factor uh, was uh, supposedly a way to get the most out of people and intimidate them. You can't pull that stuff with uh, the kids nowadays. No, it's a whole different tact, and so it should be. And I'm not surprised she would come up with this again because she was so very kind to us. Well, I had when several. She, when she comes on the show, we'll say, Julie, as of today, what is your title yeah, of Rogers we'll, we'll Radio? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll start. You know, we're, we're professionals. Mm-hmm. I can tell you there were many, many incidents in my young time. Is When I was starting out, you know, I was pretty lucky. I got, you know, I got promoted pretty quickly. I caught on to the radio thing fairly quickly. So I was always the youngest guy. And I got hired at this big radio station. I've told you this story in Vancouver. I was 20 years old, younger than everybody that worked there. I was younger than the interns. And my immediate boss was the music director, who was a prick. I don't want to mention his name because we became friendlier later. But at the time, he would have been 30. I would have been 20. And those were the days where you, you know, you, as you say, you ruled through intimidation. Well, I got off the all-night show one one morning, and I went home. I didn't realize it was all, because I also had to, my job was to do the shift and then stay and then file music, because I, I worked for him. And I was just tired, and I, I guess I went home by mistake, and I, I didn't stick around to do my extra thing. And when he saw me the next time, he pushed me up against the lockers of, of the job. He, like, he threw me up against the wall. Like, that's how mad he was at me, and I took it. Yeah, because I thought, well, that's that's how the world works. You know, bosses are pricks and you just have to go along with it. But could you imagine putting your hands on a kid now oh. in a violent manner? He would have been fired. I didn't mm-hmm. even tell anybody because I thought, oh, it's a good thing I didn't get hit or something. You know, what I mean, like my kids wouldn't <laughs> my youngest wouldn't take that. Yeah. Wouldn't take that from anybody. And it, yeah, I, I've often talked about how lucky I was to start my career more or less at CFNY and how much fun we had. But part of that was Marsden, too. He was just a very kind, considerate guy. Yeah. You know, the guy at the top, you weren't intimidated by at all. But my first taste of that, I used to live like two minutes from the radio station. This was in the early 80s. And often at night, I would write my sports comment the day before the or the in the evening watching sports i'd write my sports comment and often have a lot of my sports cast ready to go based on what the leafs had done the blue jays had done and anyway so i think my first sports cast was at six thirty. in one morning the general manager remember bill hutton mm-hmm. he got to the station at six and i got there about five after six and i was like ready to go but anyway that became an issue <coughs> And uh, why, do, why are you getting to the radio stations so late? And I said, no, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't think I was. You know, I got most of it prepared. Well, no, you should be here sooner. And mm-hmm. I said, why, are you concerned about my work? No, no, no. You should just be here sooner. And then he got some lackey that used to work in the news department to come in, start coming in at 530 to make sure me and Mike Stafford were there. <laughs> it was wow. like, it just seems so counterproductive because... You know, Stafford was great, and I explained to him how I did my job. But then all of a sudden, you're intimidated for no reason, right? No, I know. Listen, man. And, and, and again, that may happen nowadays. I don't, but it was Different. my first taste of this doesn't make sense to me. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of that. Yeah. I'll tell you a quick, other quick story. So I get, I get a morning show. 
mm-hmm. my first morning show. I'm the host of the show. I'm doing mornings in Vancouver. That was my first job. I was 21 yeah. years old. I'm now, mm-hmm. I, I'm still the youngest guy on the air for sure. I'm probably one of the youngest guys in the station. And the guy that, you know, it, it's a long story, but the short of it is mm-hmm. I get the morning show and we had a hotline. This, I'm going to describe this because I can't imagine that this even, there, I'll ask Julie, is there still a hotline? What it is, is the program director calls the guy on the air and says, hey, stop doing that or this is going on. My mm-hmm. boss used to call me pretty regularly around 7.30 in the morning and tell me to shut the fuck up. You know, <laughs> it seems I would. I mean, yeah. I sometimes think of it. It was pretty funny, but I would just go, "Hey, what's mm-hmm. up?" The guy's name was Don Schaefer. I don't care if Don hears this story, but he mm-hmm. would call me and go, "Hey, humble." I go, "What's up, Schaefer?" He go, "Shut the fuck up." You know, <laughs> I'd be like, "Okay, Don, <laughs> thanks for that." Um, but to a twenty-one-year-old, it's pretty intimidating to have your boss, who probably was mid-thirties oh, yeah. by that time, calling you. Because as soon as he would, you know, whether he called me to shut the fuck up or mm-hmm. say something about that show, for the rest of the show, I'd be on, I'd be on, on pins and needles thinking, oh, what, what am I, I don't want to screw up now. And often, program directors would tell you, if a break doesn't go well, put it behind you and think of the next one. Make the next one better. Yeah. Well, how do you make the next break better when you've just got off the phone <laughs> from your program director who has yeah. said that to you? Oh, no, I know. Like, it, you'd be off balance the rest of the show. I know. I would have been. Did you, when you were, you were a, a program director, I don't know if you remember, for a few years. Did you ever, by the time you were a PD, was the more sensitive times. Did you ever call anybody on the air? Oh, absolutely not. No, no. Wouldn't even think of it. Wouldn't even think of it. Because I would just take the attitude, nothing... Nothing could be so horrible on the air that it couldn't wait till after right. the show. I mean, really. And it was yep. Peterborough. Not to take anything away from anyone, but that would be the attitude. It would be like you make little notes, and then later in the day, uh, just say, hey, when uh, that happened, uh, what were you thinking? <laughs> um, that type of thing. Yeah, it's like, uh, anyway, so Julie's on the show. I mentioned that David Byrne was on with uh, the guys on Smartless. He told a great story. Eventually, you know, that's the thing. It gets gets frustrating sometimes because I just want the guest to answer the question. And David Byrne was talking about his process, and he talked about this song. Well, we know where we're going. Which I've always loved. And he told about finishing the song, and he thought, they asked him like about the choir part at the beginning. He goes, well, it was really simple. I thought the song was too short. <laughs> That's it? He said, yeah, I thought the song was too short, so I had to tack on a little 30-second bit at the beginning. I want to talk about Doer, Fred. Doer is the world's most comfortable pants. Street-ready styles and washes. Each pair supports a lifestyle of function and fashion. If you go to duer.ca, I'm going to do that right now for you. If you go there, uh, you can get a discount. Put in the code Humble and Fred, fifteen for fifteen percent off. Shop men, shop women's. Uh, Freddie and I, you can. You know what? Here's the thing. Right now, you can also get uh, all kinds of winter weight stuff. I mentioned yesterday I'm wearing these denim, uh, stretchy denim. They've got a fleece line in them. I don't know why it's beautiful. They really are something else. Uh, Go to duer.ca. Doer, 
the most comfortable clothes. Find out why we say that. Get some on your body today. Humble and Fred 15 at checkout. And our upcoming guest is Julie Adam from Rogers Radio. Rogers Radio. He will be the uh, Gig Sky guest of the day. Uh, by the way, Gig Sky's latest service offering includes mobile data while flying. When traveling on selected airlines and routes, uh, you can get mobile data. Go to gigsky.com slash aeromobile to see their list of airline partners. And of course, as always, download the Gig Sky app today. Enter code HF2021 for $5 off your first plan or visit gigsky.com for more information on that. Remember, Gig Sky data plans prepaid, no contracts or recurring fees. You get what you pay for your service, never throttled. That's gigsky.com. Da, da, da. Yes, I uh, was uh, going to watch the Aristocrats, the Bob Saget comedy thing. He's one of a hundred comedians on this movie, but I wanted to watch it yesterday and I couldn't find it on any of my free sites. And I, the only thing that you, you can rent it on Apple TV, and I was going to ask you, I don't have Apple TV. Remember we were talking yesterday about all the streaming services. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you have it? I believe so. On one of my TVs. My it, it's five ninety nine a month for the subscription. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, Danny was here one day and uh, logged in and didn't log out on one of these TVs. So. Oh, okay. Is that legal? I don't know, man. And I, I like Rachel has it. She also has Apple TV, the the hardware that mm-hmm. runs her TV. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't know if it's worth just because I want to see this. I don't know if it's worth five ninety nine a month. And I've seen some good stuff on Apple TV. The the morning show I quite liked. Mm-hmm. There was something else on it. Um, I bring up Bob Saget for a couple of reasons. I there was a lot about pouring yesterday, different stuff, and it turns out it. It does it turn out now? Am I right that it was a heart attack? Uh, the latest I heard is that they don't know. It'll take like three months to release actual cause of death, really? which isn't, which is sometimes the norm. I mean, it'll probably come out before that, but that's what I heard on some entertainment show last night. When well, the reason I mentioned the heart attack is because Kevin Smith, who has been on our program, a friend of the show, many mm-hmm. many times over the years. You know, he famously had some heart trouble, lost a lot of weight, Mm -hmm. and he sort of tweeted out something, a picture of him on a run or a walk saying, you know, I wasn't going to go for uh, outside today. I wasn't going to exercise, but then I heard about Bob Saget. Mm -hmm. So thanks, Bob. Uh, I just thought there was something about his heart. And then I listened to Sarah Silverman on another podcast hosted by a comedian named Mike Birbiglia. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And Silverman, this this wasn't recorded, uh, obviously, um, with the knowledge of Bob Saget, but she was talking about, you know, comedians, and she said comedians either die young or live forever. Mm. And I was thinking about, she's right, you know, like, you think about, well, Sam Kinison and Mitch Hedberg and a bunch of people like that, now Bob Saget, pretty young, or they lived, you know, like, like... George Burns, you know, was in the, in his nineties. Carl Reiner in his nineties. You know what I mean? Like there, Dick Van Dyke. People involved in the. I know he's not a comedian, but I just thought right. that was interesting that there doesn't seem to be much in, a, a bunch of in between because a lot of comics die young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of famous. You know, I could name a bunch more if if I had a better memory. But Freddie Prince. Freddie Prince. 
Or there's a bunch of them, as I mentioned, Jack Benny, all these guys lived well into their late 80s. George Burns famously into his late 90s. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. But you should listen. I was thinking of you and I when I listened to it because she talks about the mindset of people that are funny comedians and you're in that category. Just because you didn't do stand-up doesn't mean you're not a comedian. But there's something that comes with, and she was describing the the psyche of an average stand-up comic and how, you know, a lot of them, a lot of us, you know, will have some darker thoughts for sure. You know, we, we, we tend to be a bit more sensitive, a bit more empathetic and feel things and and so and that's why what that's what makes us funny is that we have a a sense of the world that maybe other people don't don't obsess over the same way i don't know no i've heard that theory too you think about things that other people don't think about or you think about them in different ways and depression is huge in that industry absolutely it really yeah um even some of the stuff you, you, you know, even a guy like David Letterman, the impression or the image you get of him and then, you know, the demons he battles. And I mean, it's almost universal with these comics when you hear them talk about their lives, how often, how many of them battled depression. And I was thinking, of, you know, I was having my lunch listening to this podcast and I started to try and think, well, who what standups aren't kind of. A bit off. And, you know, when I think about Seinfeld, but Seinfeld's a weird guy. Oh, are you kidding? There's just no getting around it. Like, he's a really (laughs) strange man. So is Larry David. You know, then I think of the guys like Jimmy Fallon and Seth Meyers who did stand up. But they, I, I don't know, they don't seem as dark as those other guys. But there's a famous story about Letterman in between, uh, like he was going to commercial and, and one of the guests was somebody that he knew. And, you know, they do that thing where they sort of pretend to talk to one another as they're going mm-hmm. to commercials. Apparently, the story goes that Letterman just leaned over to his friend and said, I hate myself. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. Fucking David mm-hmm. Letterman he just said, I hate myself. And then you read about how they and I and I can relate to this on some level. I don't. I never liked listening to my stuff back. I rarely listen to this show back yeah, unless I have to. For some reason, I don't like listening to myself. And like, like that's not a cop out, but th- that's pretty general as well. Oh yeah. Uh, or the the late night talk show hosts, how much they, you know, when the show is over, I could have done this, I could have done that. I wish I'd have asked this question. I wish I hadn't have responded that way. Like beat themselves up. It's crazy. Again, how how common that is. Sarah Silverman was talking about, you know, listening back to her shows. You know, I've done a bunch of shows, you know, a few shows this fall into the winter. And, you know, I, I tape them, but I can't stand listening to it. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's not, I don't know if depression is the right word. It's just, it depresses me to listen to it because I'm like, I think because I feel, I feel one way and then I hear it back and it doesn't come back the way I felt it and then it bums me out. You know what I mean? And you're, you're hanging off every word you say like, exactly. no other, like no other listener would. No, for sure. Anyway, Bob, does it really take three months? Well, that's just what I heard. They, you know, no foul play and no drugs. They said it could take up to three months to get the actual cause of death. Yeah. Hey, Howard, that's just one report I heard. So uh, uh, anyway, he um, he certainly was loved, and and re- reading yesterday just universally <laughs> just seemed to be admired by his peers. And um, as far as this podcast I've been listening to, if you're into stand up comedy. 
this this comedian Mike Berbiglia is a, a very famous done a bunch of Netflix stuff. He's a sort of a one man show kind of guy. He does mm-hmm. his stand up is more like little one act plays, but he's a very talented guy. And his show is called Working It Out. And what he does is he brings comics on, and then they sort of interview. He does the interview, but then they work on bits together, which mm-hmm. I kind of like, just mm-hmm. to hear somebody go through the process and. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you're interested in the world of stand-up comedy, it's something you might want to check out. I mean, while we get ready to talk to Julie, you know, 10 years ago, here she is, 10 years ago, I couldn't have, I didn't know any other podcast other than ours, really. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think at the time, Adam Carolla was the big guy. Right, right, yeah. You know, and then... Um no, Adam Carolla. Yeah, that, that was that the, was kind of like our benchmark. We were like, wow, yeah. Adam Carolla was the big one. Mark and Maron. Mark, Mark Marin was big. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, on that quickly, as far as dead people go. Um, yes. They've already released what happened to Betty White. It was a stroke. She had a stroke a few days before she died and then just had a, a cruncher at the end. She so had I a guess, cruncher. That's how you described. It. <laughs> well, that was the one that put her out, put her down. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, I guess when it's that obvious, they can release it right away. I guess with Saget, there, it's going to take a while. Who knows? Well, it's a great. I think it's a segue now that uh, we can we can. When we started, the only person that the only person that ever like took any interest in us in the radio industry was this uh, our guest today, who for many years. Let's just be clear. We think she was uh, the vice president of Rogers, right? She could be president of Rogers now. I have no idea. But I'm sure she's going to tell us. For many, many years, we referred to her as the angel, Julie Adam. And it turns out we were right. Say hi to our old friend, Julie Adam. Look at you. Look at you. Good morning. Can I tell you something right now? You have got, you've got great, you have a great smile. Thank you so much. It's so great to see you guys and hear you. It's been forever. How are you? Well, look at Very us. Very good. Look what, look what happened to us, you Julie. You look amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're both in our 60s now. That's right. Julie, you know. Young punks. You got another 40-some-odd years Easy to now. go. I hope, you know what? I hope not. It's just it's mm-hmm. too much trouble. <laughs> what is your actual title nowadays these days? I am the president of news and entertainment. There you go. For uh, Rogers Sports and Media. Like for the whole darn country. For the country, yeah. So it's it's our non-sports broadcast asset, City TV, the radio stations, our podcast networks. Well, let's take Um, you back, if we can. Ten years ago, we had started this podcast. We released our first one, I think it was uh, somewhere in October of 2011. Obviously, from being competitors of ours for many years in the market, you you know in charge of morning shows, we were competing with you. But so you knew who we were. How did because this is sort of getting to the origins of podcasting? How did you hear, or what was your first sort of uh, knowledge that we were doing a podcast? Is what I'm trying to get to. I don't remember how I heard about it, but um, I mean, you know, the your show is is iconic in uh you know in media in terms of morning shows so you know everybody knows who humble and fred are um so i don't remember the first time you know that i heard about that you were doing this podcast i don't even know you know at that time geez 10 years ago you know podcasting you you were so early to the market oh yeah i mean i I don't know how many podcasts there were you know a decade ago 
Um, and I have a short-term memory, so I'm terrible. Yes, yeah, so do we. But, but yeah. the point is, you reached out to us. Something yeah, about it. It was an email you sent, just saying, "Hey guys, heard the podcast. Right. Congratulations, good job." Um, you know, way to survive, basically. <laughs> That's right. But the point I'm mm-hmm. trying to get to, Julie, you reached out to us, mm-hmm. and. You know, we've told the story so many times. Most most people that are hundred percenters know who you are. Believe me, but it was such a boost to us uh, psychologically, and it kind of goes to your book. Um, imp- imperfectly kind is the short version, or the long version is why kindness is the must-have superpower you need to lead. Yeah, the actual title is, and let's be honest, you know, I I don't really know what I'm doing with this book. <laughs> <laughs> So the title is Imperfectly Kind. That, okay. I was walking my dog and that title popped in my head and, and it stuck. And then, you know, I guess the subtitle or the, you know, the catchphrase to try to sum up the book in a sentence is really about, you know, this notion that as a leader, and I guess you could extend it to being a human being, you know, kindness is the superpower you want to have mm-hmm. and flex. And to me, I think it's, you know, the most important thing um, you can do as a person is to show kindness. Well, it's like the old, it's at the very, at the very basis, the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And I mean, it's so, you know, Howard and I were talking about it uh, just prior to you coming on about, you know, incidents at radio stations and going through situations where you go, you know, I would have never done that to somebody. Why would they do that to me? And I guess through what you're saying is like, that's right. Think before you you speak or act. Yeah, it's an it's an odd thing. You know, I think we um, we sort of end up in this situation where we, we do these things and we don't really know why we do them. Like, mm-hmm. why did you do that? Mm-hmm. I don't really know why. Why I did that? I guess I just I didn't really think about it. And I, I think what I've learned, you know, over the years is. This notion of being kind isn't about, you know, being like saying yes to everything and mm-hmm. having people walk all over you or, you know, not being being indecisive or not making tough decisions. That That's not what it's about. We all have to make tough decisions. You, you know, you have to make tough decisions in your life. Um, we have to make t- tough decisions around our kids and our families and our friends and our marriages and our partners and so on. Making the tough decision is one thing, but once you've made the tough decision, then think about, you know, how can you communicate that with kindness? How can you make sure the person who's being impacted by the decision, you know, you're treating them you're treating them kindly throughout and you're treating them well and you're having empathy for how it's going to feel to get this message when, you know, you're on the receiving end. I also think that, you know, if you, I mean, I say this a lot, the only time you know, people really are inclined to give feedback or make a tough decision about something is when they care, right? So, you know, we think about all the businesses and the interactions that we have. And we have, you know, if we have bad customer service, unless we really care about the company, we're probably not going to reach out to them and give them feedback. You mm-hmm, know, we're just going to mm-hmm. be pissed off and walk away. Yeah. So I just think this, you know, thinking about, how giving feedback and making tough decisions is in its own way the kind thing to do because you're helping something, someone or a business or whatever whatever the case may be. 
Well, and, and that is so well said. Thank you, Julie. And I want to get back to, so your kindness to us was so encouraging. And, and again, and we've told the story a bunch of times, but for people that are new, Julie reached out to us. And for a while, for quite a while, actually, a couple of years, we had an association, Rogers Radio. We were on websites. At, at one point, very early on, and this was the part that I was like, this is blowing my mind. 680 News was running traffic spots with uh, our, our tags uh, brought to you by the return of the Humble and Fred show. If you go to our Facebook Facebook page. I put up uh, today, Julie, not, not only your picture, but there's a picture of the plaque that you gave us hmm. commemorating 100 shows. And it's so sweet. It was so sweet of you at the time. But I looked at it this morning. I thought, you know, so many things have happened in our lives, in all our lives. And we're, I don't know how many shows, we're close to 3,000 episodes of this. Wow. We've been doing it for a long time, and, and we kept doing it through every incarnation. But you were very, very key to us for a lot of reasons, and, and, and it's tying into your book. Because of your kindness, I mean, you, you were making a business decision. You were thinking, hey, if this works out and Humble and Fred you know, are, could be good for our company, then there's a selfish reason. But your kindness to us was so key at the time. And it's those little things. And we've all had those moments in our lives. What was the moment that in your life that you could think of where someone did for you what you did for us? Uh, well, for, first, I just congrats and good for you guys. For oh, no, but if you want to take some time to talk about us first, go ahead. That's fine. That's always good. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if you want to take a moment or two to talk about how successful and amazing we are, that's fine. But then you can answer the question I asked you about you. A, a moment or 10 or 15 or whatever. That take your time. No, listen, listen, guys, the thing, you know, just back to your question about podcasting, I was really excited. I mean, it, maybe that sounds nuts. Like, why are you excited about people that aren't on your roster and you don't work with? I was just excited that, you know, the two of you were making this investment in trying something different. And that must be scary as hell to do that, you know? You must, I, I mean, I, I love to talk to you about sort of the fear factor and, and, and how you overcome it, but you went for it. And to me, it was exciting for our industry and you were really, you know, you were trailblazers in doing this. So I, I think, you know, I don't remember how I heard about it, but the first thought was like, wow, good for them. This is awesome. I wonder how we can help and I wonder what we can learn and let's go experiment and experiment with people that are, you know, talented and you were wonderful to work with and always um, top notch and great guys to to, you know, to to partner with and honest and open. Like, you know, I mean, at one point you said, hey, we got to cut our ties with you because we've got something else over here that we think, you know, might be better for us. And that was OK. Like, mm-hmm. You know, there that's a business decision that you had to make. You delivered it with kindness. You were. You know, you didn't like beat around the bush. You just said, hey, here's what we need to do for our business. OK, got it. Great. Good luck. And, you know, let's let's see how it goes. Um, I- and, and so I think, you know, for me, one of my early first of all, I would say I go right back to my dad. You know, my dad, I'll always say that my dad was the probably the first person that I saw really lead with kindness. He was in the education. You know, he was a teacher and then worked for the school board. And he was just a great guy. He was just, he was always nice to people, you know, mm-hmm. like he was never a jerk. He wasn't sort of like power hungry, but he was tough. You know, he had high expectations, he had high standards, he had an incredible work ethic. And he, you know, he probably the first bit of kindness he showed was 
there's six of us. I'm the youngest of six. Five, my brother's the oldest, and then there's five girls. And he let us be interested in what we were interested. You know, and I'm, you know, at the time, he was born in 1927. So I'm, you know, I'm 51. So in growing up in the 70s, like, you know, did girls play a lot of sports? Maybe not, but I was into sports. I wasn't into, you know, stereotypical fashion or, you know, whatever the case. So he, like early on, you know, he bought me a baseball glove and he taught me how to skate and we would make a rink in the backyard and he'd shoot hockey pucks at me. And then my older sister, you know, he would take shopping because she loved fashion. Mm. And so he was very much about, you know, do like, let's figure out what you like and then let's point you in that direction rather than trying to sort of shape you into whatever stereo gender type there is. Mm -hmm. So I would say that for me early on in life was the first real bit of kindness that someone showed me. Is he still alive, your dad? No, he's not. He passed away uh, in 2013. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah, he was, he was in his 80s. So did he ever have conversations with you, what you had achieved? I mean, you're one of the most, I mean, you're a significant player in Canadian radio. I mean, nationally. Um, did you ever have those conversations like, hey, Julie, you've done well? We've had so many great conversations, you know, about, he was so curious and he, he would talk about, you know, he could talk to you about anything, but yeah, he was probably my number one confidant. You know, when I was really struggling <clears throat> through business situations or, you know, he would be the one I'd call and say like, Hey, I need to come and talk to you about something. Did he ever have anything to say about the humble and Fred show? Just curious. <laughs> Are you a big fan? <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting that you say your father was the first one, but isn't that a, it's interesting how in your home there was a foundation of kindness. And, and then I think that that sets you up for a lifetime of looking for opportunities to be kind to others. And I know, again, Fred mentioned the golden rule, but I, I often wonder, it doesn't, it doesn't really take much to, to show kindness to somebody. In my case, I learned the opposite. I was, this, I'll tell this as quick as I can. I used to clean golf clubs at, a, at my course in Moose Jaw, and I noticed the people that were shitty to me, the people right. that were like dismissive. And I always thought, it's weird how they, you know, and you've seen them in your lives where they treat service people poorly. And I have this theory that if you're mean to wait staff or service people, I don't know if I can be your friend because that says something about you. So I learned early on what 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 behavior I didn't like or I didn't respond to. And I always thought it was because and, and what we talked about before you came on, Julie, is early in our radio career in mine, it was very much, a, you know, you were, you know, people above you were kind of mean spirited that's how management that was the management style but that's i mean we're we've been out of the real business a long time but i'm sure people don't put up with the younger kids kids my age Mm -hmm. they're not putting up with that anymore that's right well i mean the it's interesting you know i have a rule around i call it the server kindness test because i was the same i you know i was a waitress at a country club and you know people just treat you like crap absolutely not, they do not everyone not everyone I mean, some people mm-hmm. and, and that's what's really interesting because you know you have these people in both of these cases where they're sort of all there to do the same thing i worked at a curling rink and you know some of them are amazing and some of them are complete jerks and there's no you know you're not any different so you wonder like what what happens how do people get this wiring in them but I don't think people are, you know, from a business standpoint, 
like you said, you know, no one's putting up with this BS mm-hmm. anymore. I mean, I'm not going to put up with it, right? I mean, right. Like, we're just not. We're. It's, no one's going to put up with. I mean, they'll maybe they'll put up with it, you know, in a part-time job because you don't have a lot of options. But w- if you want anyone with any real, you know, talent to be part of your organization, you know, they've got a lot of choices. And there's more choice now than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't think it, I don't think it works anymore to sort of like finger, you know, finger wag at people and slam doors and scream and yell and make people feel horrible. Right. You know, a great contrast of kindness when uh, you're involved, you, you know, you were very kind to us and you said, you know, you looked at it and you thought, wow, this is different and good on you guys for trying something different. And it's exciting. And you're pioneers. <laughs> well, you were doing that from another company. We received a letter saying, stop using the name. <laughs> this is true. I don't know if you knew about this. Stop using the name Humble and Fred. We own it. I, that's why I started laughing. I knew he was going to say that. So while you were being kind, we were being sued for using our own names. We're using our own names. We for. Yeah. It costs us like 3500 bucks to keep our name. Hey, Fred, the company we made millions of dollars for. Millions. <laughs> but, again, there's just an example. And, 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 Julian, in your position, too, like, as kind as you can be or want to be, in your position, I mean, when people, you know, lose their jobs or, you know, uh, budget cuts, um, it's not easy, or often those people go away, regardless of how kind you were, with a, a certain degree of bitterness, and that's got to hurt. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things. First of all, I don't proclaim to have to be perfect. I'm sure, right. you know, I've had my moments of goofy decisions over the year. I know I have. Um, I think it's more about what's your North Star and what are you aiming towards? And then, you know, you have to cut yourself some slack also. To mm-hmm. say like, oh, geez, mm-hmm. I, I swung and I missed on this. How do I how do I make good on it? But, yeah, it's awful putting people out of work. I mean, awful. Like, there's nothing worse. And it's the it's the only part about my job I don't like. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this. Sort of, you know, I do feel a responsibility to the people that are part of our organization. I mean, I take it very personally. And I'd love to be able to, you know, pay everybody whatever they want Mm -hmm. and, you know, hire more people and never have to fire someone again. Um, Particularly good people. You know, it's one thing. I mean, you never have to make those decisions when you're impacting someone's livelihood, period even if the person is a jerk. Um, But so many good people who aren't jerks, who are talented, you know, you have to make those decisions about them as well. And yeah, it's, it's awful. Yeah. It's got to suck. It sucks. By the way, you were going to talk, I think we cut you off. You were, you were talking about your, your service person test. I wanted to hear that. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think is really important is when you're interviewing people for jobs is to find a way or a partner, or if you're, you know, if you're talking to someone about doing a partnership is like, go out for lunch with them. Mm-hmm. Well, in the days when we used to be able to go for lunch That's with right. people mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and really pay attention to what are they like around everyone else? Because, you know, my business card, you know, people are nice to me just based on my business title. But, you know, when you have people that, you know, who who are around others who don't have perceived power, 
how do they treat them? You know, how do they treat the Uber driver? I, I always mm. get my uh, assistant to meet people in the lobby and walk them upstairs and spend a few minutes with them because I like to see like how what were they like? Mm-hmm. How, were they nice to the were they nice to the person at reception? You know, did they make co- eye contact with the people? Did they say hello? Were they friendly or were they like complete jerks? You know, face and phone and disregarded everyone. You know, I, I, it's such a I, I so relate to that because over the years, again, having had this, you know, been on the lower end of the power grid when I was a kid and seeing how, you know, people treat waiters and waitresses, wait staff in particular, and, and especially in higher end restaurants. You know, it's like it's one thing, you know, when you're paying a lot of money to be, you know, sort of respectful, but it's in the when you're in having a, a burger and fries somewhere and you're dismissive of somebody, you're not making you don't thank them or whatever. That's again, I, I think it says a lot about how you would how you would be to deal with. And I and in my experience, I don't know about you two, but it always turns out that that's they are the jerks you thought they were going to be. That's right. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you can see people's true colors in those situations. And, you know, we've all been, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't start in this industry in this position. I started in other positions. And I remember the people that were nice to me when I was an intern. And I remember the people that, you know, they, they had their swagger when I was, you know, the whatever weekend swing host. Yeah. And that changed over the year. And yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think if you want uh, the real deal, you know, people that are the real deal are, are the same no matter who they're around. I mean, maybe we change our language a little bit. We talk differently with our friends than we're going to talk with our grandparents. Um, but we're the same at the core. You know, good people are good people. Julie, how do you um, handle this now or have handled it in the past where especially in the industry you work in, you have a jerk on staff, but he makes you a lot of money. How do you, like, you know, you can't fire this person for being a jerk because, you know, over here they're bringing in a lot of money. How do you handle that? Because obviously there's a lot of of examples in that, in every industry, but, I mean, we're talking about our industry. I think it depends on what the definition of jerk is. So... You know, if somebody is egregious, I mean, if they really are, you know, a, just a complete ass and only in it for themselves and, and frankly, offensive or a bully or, you know, brutal, then to me, you know, I'll take the I'll take the loss on the revenue. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, and we've I've I've had to make those decisions over the year where you just say, you know what, this is going to hurt from a business standpoint, but we've got to do it because, you know, that they, they say, what's the saying around like culture is the worst behavior you're willing to tolerate. And so if you're w- really willing to tolerate that in, you know, in your life, in your friend circle, in your business, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to tolerate it with one person, you know, why not just let everybody run, mm-hmm. run amok? Otherwise you're now you're in a, in a position where, you're not being fair. I mean, you know, person X gets to do whatever they want and everybody else has to, you know, be over here. Yeah, but you say that, if I may interject, you say that, but our, our experience, we've all seen it in 30 or 40 years in the business. There have been moments where people make a lot of money for the company, but they're, they're not very nice people and they've been tolerated. 
I guess now is a daisies uh, that that has changed because of the things we're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Julie Adams here and her book is called Imperfectly Kind. Uh, in our last few minutes, Julie, let's talk a little bit about the state of the business if we can, because we haven't really we sort of jettisoned our last relationship with a radio company over a year ago. But really, it's been a few years that we've been on our own. And and so our, I, legitimately, I, I really don't know what it's like inside of a a station these days or a television network how have you guys been responding to and i and i know it's popular to say this about radio to the waning interest in broadcast radio yeah it's uh well first of all covid has been you know just brutal i mean for talk about a, a revenue killer, you know, over the mm-hmm. when you think about the number of, of businesses that have either had to close down, you know, temporarily or permanently, I mean, they're not advertising. So in an ad based business, when you're relying upon ad dollars, you know, I think there is one point where our, um, our radio revenue was down about 70%. Wow. And so, you know, it was, it was, it's, I, I mean, it was, no one prepares you for that. Mm-hmm. So it's been confusing and distracting, frankly, to really get a handle on what's going on, because some of it is, you know, behavioral changes. You know, there's we're all competing for time. And now, you know, you spend 30 minutes listening to a podcast or on YouTube or on social media or watching video on your phone. That's 30 minutes you're not spending with radio. And there's no question that the younger population you know, who haven't formed these daily habits of getting up in the morning and turning on Humble mm-hmm. and Fred. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's a habit. Yeah. And, you know, we know how um, hard habits are to break and, and, and the comfort of having a habit that you like. So that habit, of, I mean, my boys are teenagers. They don't wake up in the morning and turn on the radio to listen to something. Um, so really... I would say my philosophy hasn't changed in that it's still about the people. And if you can find people that are really good at communicating, telling stories, you know, delivering content, whatever you want to call that, and hoover them up to best that you can, and then sort out what's the best way to distribute that content. That to me is the recipe for success. Are we perfect at it? No. Are we as aggressive as we want to be? No. But have we had some wins? Yeah, we have for sure. I mean, we've been able to take some of our shows that are, and radio still has massive reach. So even you know when those kids get in the car, they are turning on the radio. So finding a way to have you know a show that can be live on the radio and on social. I mean, right now you're on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Figuring out how to cut that content to make it available on demand. That's how we are thinking about the business. Less so about this sort of one distribution mm-hmm. platform. But it's Have tough. It is tough. From a podcasting standpoint, has Rogers put together like a podcasting network or are you there yet or what? Yeah, we have. We launched Frequency. Um, again, you're going to test, but a, f- a few years ago, we were pretty early in the game. Mm-hmm. And then we bought a company uh, about two, maybe two and a half years ago called Pacific Content. Mm-hmm. who are really the, you know, one of the leaders in Canada. Interestingly, though, they do podcasts for brands. So, you know, they, they'll, they'll have brands that will hire them to create podcasts 
as a form of marketing. They're really a kind of a business to business marketing company. Yeah, yeah, and most of their clients are in the U.S. Um, but just so yeah. you know, if there's a if there's a take if you have an appetite for takeover, we're for sale, Julie. We are, <laughs> we are. This company, we can show you revenues have gone up. I'll tell you, I, I, I hate I hate even saying this, but our pandemic experience, even so, you know, in twenty, it's been I don't know, Freddie, almost two years since Fred was in the studio with me. Right. But you know, our our business has thrived and and in, for a lot of reasons it was the inflection point in 2019 2020 when uh, people were finally starting to buy podcasts as an agency play because when we first met you know we didn't, we were all retail we were asking people going door to door basically and all of a sudden Julie in the last 22 months we now get inbounding calls from agencies in the states in Canada you know our clients are now Noom and Manscaped and GoDaddy like we're we're on the we're on the radar whereas years ago we weren't I say for your business. Um, Humble and Fred's a great investment, but that's not what I really wanted to say. <laughs> that that podcasting has grown up, and now it's a revenue stream for companies. And what's the driver for the calls from uh, the agencies? Is the audience growing, or yes. are they warming up to it, or what is it? So the great question because I, I got we got inbounded by a, an agency in Houston, um, and we're gonna we have a new client starting tomorrow. Uh, the client is Noom, the weight loss app. It's a great app. Mm-hmm. And I asked the agent in, in Houston, I said, how did you hear about us? And she said, we have a company that searches podcasts in different markets. And we were looking for the top you know, 10 in this category. And you guys came up. And I'm like, well, that's great. Because that wouldn't have happened you know, 10 mm-hmm. years ago when Fred and I would go to agencies in Toronto, ostensibly with people who knew us. And right. they had no idea about podcasting. So that's what sort of happened to our business. The pandemic hit around the same time that people started looking for podcasting as an advertising opportunity. Have you seen your audience grow during the pandemic? Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. Like quite a bit. Congratulations. I love to hear that so much. I'm so happy for you guys. I was scrolling through your list of advertisers and uh it, it was wonderful to see i mean i saw GoDaddy on there and it's a great roster you have and some uh geez sherpa uh chamber plant gig sky we're talking years yeah, we've got three legacy clients yeah. that have been with us over four years mm-hmm. it's amazing it is amazing and they obviously it works for them otherwise they don't stick around mm-hmm. exactly you know what else is amazing? And Howard and I often talk about achievers. Here you are running a radio empire. Every day you get up, you get all these radio stations, all these TV stations, all these people to think about, and you still have time to write a book. Like, that just blows me away. Like, where does that time come from? Like, you can. Yeah, why write aren't a you book? binge watching Netflix like we yeah, are? Well, and, yeah, and like, falling, yeah. Then falling asleep <laughs> like, in front of you the seen TV. Yellowstone. <laughs> Don't you even care about succession, Julie? <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I guess we make time for the things we want to do. It's just sure. one of those things I wanted to do. I was I was feeling a bit, you know, COVID. I think we were in our second round of lockdowns mm. at the start of 2021. I'm not good around negativity. I just don't, perf- I don't perform well. And it sounds goofy, like, okay, well, that, what kind of, you know, what, what, you know, rosy sunshine world do you live in where there isn't negativity, but too much of it really shuts me down. And so I can't be around sort of all this, like, you know, 
destruction of lockdown and, you know, this is broken and that's broken and this isn't working. And I needed something that I could do that would be the opposite. I just, I had to, you know, I wasn't traveling because of work. I did have extra time on my hands. My kids, you know, pretty functional on their own. Um, and so I just decided, you know, this is something I've always wanted to do. I had this, this email land in my inbox about how to do it in this course. And so I just jumped in and, and you know, you know, if you want to do something, you're just going to make time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what well, Julie did you. Uh, is a book called Imperfectly Kind, an inspiring collection of thoughts and ideas, 28 of them on why kindness is the must-have superpower you need to lead. Uh, thank you for being so kind to us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Talk about being kind. I was uh, thrilled to get this invitation. You know, I'm, I love talking to you guys, and I really appreciate your support, and I'm so proud of you both. And Well, soon as we read about it last week, it was a no-brainer to have you on the show. Uh, thank you so much, guys. I, I got so excited. I thought you were on last week because I was like, and tomorrow on the show. And I went through this whole thing and Fred goes, oh, no, that's a week from tomorrow. I was like, oh, it's good to see Howard. You're st- still, you know, like, don't really know 100 <laughs> percent. Right. I'm not 100 percent prepared, but I do know that the book is called Imperfectly Kind and you are perfectly kind. And we certainly appreciate you popping back in. And again, if there is a hostile takeover of Humble and Fred, we can talk. We have numbers. We have metrics. We've got clients. We're Amazing. right for the picking, Julie. I love that. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. Stay safe. All the best okay, to you. There's Julie. Julie thank Evan. you. Good to and, see you. And just, in, just, I'm assuming the book is available where books are available. Yeah, that's right. All you can get it on Amazon, Indigo, etc. Online. Hey, only. are those? Uh, listen, are, are Roz and Mocha interviewing you? No. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> boys, give, give our best to those guys. Tell them that we are. We're still uh, happy for their success. I will for sure. I right. appreciate that. Take okay. care. Thank you guys. Take care. Here's Julie Adam. And the book is called Imperfectly Kind. Just let yourself out. Uh, we got to move on, everybody. It's uh, what a I'm exhausted from all the kindness. It was a lot. To, it's a lot to take in. Um, you mentioned she was the Gig Sky guest of the day. You mentioned a couple of our other clients. We've got one standing by right now. Yes, we do. The retirement sure for Tim Niblett. Oh, oh, that's oh I'm un- sorry, that's Howard. Standing by. Oh, standing by. Yeah, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. I no, that's okay. That's right. He's standing by. He's standing yes. by. I thought you were, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. I... Read another sponsor there. Right. He's How's standing great? by. He's right here. There he God is. I'm looking at it. And look the at this angel. Brad, you got to know, what you got to know about me is I'm always standing by, like Batman. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you yeah. heard uh, that last interview. That that human being, Julie Adam, the president of Rogers Media, radio and TV, and she's, uh, we were talking about the idea of leadership being about kindness. Andy Palala. Palalis, Andy Palalis from Canada Cabana is here. He's the chief information officer. But I want to, before we get to weed, because I've got a bunch of weed stuff, but we were talking about how culture in, in business have, has changed a lot since Fred and I started off. It used to be that people were intimidating. Our bosses were pricks. But now in the millennial world, in your world, you know, biz, culture in business is a lot different. I imagine it's similar in your climb to chief information officer what what has life in the corporate world been like for you 
Wow, that's a that's a bigger question than I expected to answer at eight forty five. There, Howard. The reason I tell you what the <laughs> reason like, I asked you because I know yeah. you, you. I know you'll have an answer. Yeah, you know what, uh, Howard? I think um, what's interesting is, especially in the cannabis industry, um, you know, there's a really there's a really different texture and feel than perhaps some of the more traditional roles, uh, even, even personally that I had, um, in, in you know, in marketing uh, early on in my career. And um, you know, I think today uh, folks have even more choices about where they can work. They have even more choices about, you know, which employer they can choose. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation right now about company culture. And I can tell you, you know, definitively, we have a lot of these conversations at the highest levels, which, I, I you know, I, I couldn't say whether that was the case 10 or 15 years ago, but I suspect not as much, at least, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and uh, it's also one of the most difficult things to get right, because, you know, there's a whole new set of values and understandings of what, you know, employees uh, care about. And appreciate uh, in the workplace, and you know you layer that over some of the other social responsibility initiatives that um, have emerged as a really important part of corporate social responsibility. And so, all of these things create it, uh, you know, a good deal more complexity. But it's the kind of complexity that I personally really like to chew into because um, I think it makes makes better companies, and, and frankly, makes just for a better society. But I think you know, and, and Fred's got kids in their mid to late thirties. My kids are in their mid to late twenties. I think even in that time period, the corporate culture around what what employees will you know put up with has changed because we oh, would have put up we would have eaten a lot more shit in our twenties than these kids will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> no, I, listen. You know, my early career was uh, was a whole lot of uh, perform or get out, and and you know, sh- shut up and, and don't say much. And, yeah. and you know, I, I don't think that that's the uh, thank goodness. I, I don't think that's the culture today. Um, certainly, it's not the culture at High Tide. And uh, you know, uh, what can I say? Yeah, I think things are changing. Th- confirmed, things are changing for the better. Good. Um, let's talk, you know, I, I mentioned to you last week that, uh, I've been popping in and out of some can of cabanas. That's why, uh, Andy's with us. And I've been talking about the THC, how it's, you know, prominent, prominently displayed. But I want to talk a little bit about pricing because I've had a couple of people ask me, is, is can of cabana like a, I think somebody said, is it like, you know, the, you know, sort of the cheapest stuff? I said, no, 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 don't get that impression. It's not that it's, it's not crappy stuff that they're clearing out it's 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 market it's it's the top level stuff just at better prices maybe delve into that a little bit because i think we i don't want to give people the wrong impression that this is like the no frills of weed yeah, it's a great it's a great uh, great question, Howard. You know, I mean, the biggest thing for us early on was we we've been in the cannabis space since two thousand and nine, right? So, you know, we um we were we were in the cannabis accessory business for a very long time. Uh, we've collaborated with brands like Snoop Dogg and Trailer Park Boys and Jay and Silent Bob and Power, Paramount Pictures throughout. You know, the genesis of legalization, uh, bringing cannabis accessories to market, and you know, for us. Uh, it was really important that we kept that level of authenticity from 2009, starting off as a little little cannabis accessory store in, in Calgary, all the way to now to being a, one of the largest chains in the country for cannabis uh, cannabis sales. And you know, for us, it was it was all about making sure that we had the best weed at the best prices with a great experience to boot, right? And you know, Howard, we've talked a bit about our experience about getting a little island time, you know, mm-hmm. which is time that's entirely your own, which is a little bit in short supply these days. But for us. We believe you should buy the best weed you can afford. That's why Canna Cabana is the way it is. 
right? We like consuming good weed. We're not cheap weed cheap because I hate consuming cheap weed. I like yeah. flavor. I like nuanced effects. I like variety. We have a huge selection of craft brands, and that's not by accident. It's because we believe that customers should be buying the best cannabis they can afford. It just so happens that, you know, our privilege of, of having uh, such a large retail network in the country allows us the ability to do whatever we can to be as competitive as possible and provide our customers with the best possible price for that top tier cannabis well where does uh bad cheap lousy weed live nowadays is this the guy you buy it from on the corner <laughs> that's right under I the gardener i can't say you know i can't say that for you know there's there's been a lot of conversation this year in fact the ontario cannabis store put out a little commercial that was a bit tongue-in-cheek about buying weed from a dealer or your guy or whatever mm-hmm. i can't comment on that folks folks you know i mean folks are going to buy where they're going to buy and they have you know relationships with who they have relationships for for me it's not about you know uh scaring someone into running away from the guy they've been buying cannabis cannabis from the last 20 years it's about yeah. providing a compelling enough benefit and enough convenience because frankly you can find a can of, can of cabana pretty much anywhere you are and in, in mm-hmm. you know the four provinces we're in at this point um, it's about providing enough of a compelling benefit for those folks to say well let me just check out can of cabana and once you come in i promise you you, you won't go well, anywhere else it's like buying a used car right you take your chances yeah, elsewhere. For us, it's like yeah, the elsewhere. Brand. That's elsewhere. what I mean. Like, Not a can yeah. cabana. Um, yeah, the guy, the, the guy on the corner. It's like you're just taking your chances. Exactly. I got my uh, browser open here to the store that I shop at, which is the one on Parliament, which is closest to Rachel's. Like, I can walk there. It's fantastic. It's Parliament and I think Carlton area. Not the exact right. one. But I'm looking at the store, and 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 what I love about it is not only is it telling me the THC level right away. I know if I'm looking for high THC content, it's there. And I I keep stressing this, but if you're a THC user like I am, it's something I want to know. I don't think, and and maybe this isn't the exact day to have it, but I want us to have this conversation soon, which is I don't believe I have the distinction to to discern the subtleties of different strains of weed. And what I'd like to do, and maybe as an experiment, you and I can talk after the show, say, listen, Howard, I want you to try the Amsterdam and the Cherry Jam, and let's talk about what those differences are, because to a lot of people, getting high is just getting high, but it's like saying all wines are the same. Mm -hmm. And I think that'll be a, 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 I'd like to have a conversation at some point about what am I looking for and what are the subtleties of the differences in different strains. Yeah, I love that, Howard. And, you know, one of the benefits of being in the cannabis industry is I have exposure to a lot of different cannabis. Right. Um, and even for me, actually, one of the benefits personally is that it's it's a journey for me, too. You know, trying new cannabis, no different than I imagine if you were in the wine the wine world and, and sampling new things all the time. You know, for me, trialing new cannabis is some of the most exciting thing, or one of the most exciting parts of the job. And, and I also got to say, I think for our customers, one of the most important things as well. One of the number, the number one question we get asked when folks walk in the door is, hey, what's new? What's mm-hmm. great? What's new? You know, people love variety. And, you know, for us, providing that variety is really important. But personally, I can tell you, I almost never consume, unless it's really, really good. Like there's some notable examples, Carmel Dim Mac, Natural History, LA Kush Cake, um, Cookies, Georgia Pie. I, I'll consume those, you know, a, a couple times again and again, because they're just exceptional. But most of the time, you know, I'm bouncing back and forth. I'll tell you what, Cherry Jam, that stuff made me real hungry. Wonderful cannabis. Boy, <laughs> I ever hungry with that cherry jam? Well, I'll tell you what, Andy Palalis is here. The other thing I was going to say, not only is the THC there, but also what you pay and what you save. And think about it. 
people? Think about it. It's 100 locations across the country. We, I hope we've answered the question. Why it's cheaper there is because they get to buy more of it. Uh, go check it out, canacabana.com. You'll find one near you in four provinces across the country. Uh, but I, I am going to send you a note because I think it'll be a fun bit. I'll go in. I'll, I'll grab a couple I'll grab a couple grams this week so that I can talk about a few. You give me a rec. I'll, we'll call it Andy Recommends. How about that? There we go. We just, oh. So Andy Recommends, and we'll have a couple of uh, items for you in the next couple of days that we think you should try at a cabana, a can of cabana near you. How about that? Boy, what a what a what a great look! You just you just came up with that on the spot, Howard. This is what I do. That's what he does. <laughs> that's why that's why that's why you're who you are, Mister Glassman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Palalis, Canacabana.com. Thanks, kid. I will uh, I'll send you a note as soon as I'm done with these uh, these nonsense merchants. Mm, thank you, gentlemen. All right, pal. Take care. See I got to get. Uh, I tell you, I've been. Um, you know, there's certain. You know, I went into Canacabana before uh, before Christmas, or in between Christmas and New Year's, I should say, and. Uh, it is a great store. I mean, it's a great experience. I don't know. I know you don't go in as many as I do, but if you do have a chance, go into one. As you said, it's got a, a nice vibe. It's a little taste. You know, you sort of get an island feel. And, you know, maybe I'll pick up some uh, today. Dan Duran is coming to do some technical work. That's the only reason that Dan Duran is coming to the studio, Fred, is because of COVID. It's a technical visit. Does he have an N95? Um, well, not only does he have an N95, but I, uh, I've asked him. And he's agreed to test himself before he comes here. Then I'm going to give him. I'm going to give him one of my self tests so that you know he has one, uh, you know, to take home. Are you testing two? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, okay. I will if you want me to. No, it's okay. You know, one of us should sort of figure it out. I guess. Well, yeah. I have no symptoms. Uh, you don't seem to have any symptoms. No, I have no symptoms. But I do. By the way, I also need you to help me hook something up. I'll tell you about it in a second. Maybe I should uh, talk about the retirement Sherpa before we yes, get to Dan. Yes, please do. And I will also mention our friends at HealthGage in a second, too. Go yes, ahead. Yes, uh, Tim Niblett, a portfolio manager. Raymond James, a member of the Canadian Investors Protection Fund. Tim will be by tomorrow, and uh, we wait with that uh, uh, great anticipation because, you know, it will... Will it be the first or the no the the second show of the of the new year and a lot to think about as we approach the end of February? You know why our RSPs and other things that have to be in place. And Tim, you know he's your guy to remind you because often we need reminders on those things that need to be done. Uh, Tim is uh, uh, well. Is there even a count? We have a number of how many humble and Fred clients uh, he has and he's helping uh, with their finances answers right now and again all the response has been fantastic and the list is growing all the time tim niblett the retirement sherpa and of course our friend tim daniels we checked uh, we checked checked in with him uh, last week talking about the covid situation around the world it's great having somebody that lives in italy to kind of give us a vibe of what's happening in europe now, of course the health gauge healthgauge.com did you mention was it you that were telling me that Oh, you felt a little flushed. You got a little bit of a temperature rise, and your watch said, Hey, Fred, your temperature's gone over this limit that you sent. Uh, I look at it every day for a couple things, sleep and how many steps I'm taking. And you can, too, go to Humble. Go to Humble and Fred. Go to HealthGage.com. Put in the promo code HumbleFredHG for 15% off at checkout. Uh, you know, there's lots of options out there, but this is the only one that gives you all kinds of information 
that you can share with your health care professionals, whether it's nutrition or your, uh, your GP. Uh, the information lives in the cloud and you can access it. It's healthgauge.com. This is the Phoenix that we're wearing, the Phoenix watch. And again, humble Fred HG for 15% off. At checkout. Now, here's to a fella named Dan Duran, a hell of a guy with a hella big wang, the quintessential anchor man. His voice is nice and low. Huh. Dan Duran, the anchor man, comes as for credentials he has none. Can't tell a headline from his bum, but his voice is nice and low. Dan Duran, the anchor man's here. He's prone to falling off his chair, but he's got a big wang, so he don't care, and his voice is nice and low. My voice is nice and And now from Lakeside with the uh, Humble and Fred News, here he is, former weatherman, former production <laughs> manager, former morning man, and now doing the news on the Humble and Fred show. Here's Dan mm-hmm. Durant. Uh, don't forget gas pump jockey. I did that too. Did you really? If you had... What? Huh? Huh? Okay. He was a gas. He was a gas attendant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? You, wait a second. You pumped gas? Mm-hmm. I, I did. Too. <laughs> did you ever? Did you ever get the hose? <laughs> did you ever get the hose mixed up? <laughs> with the wrong kind of gas? No, no. with the wrong hose. <laughs> so no, I, I get beat it. you. Did that I beat you to it? Right. Finally, that was minutes in. Minutes Second, in. You know, this, That's nicely done. You know the thing he accused me of yesterday? Yeah, I know. I did. So I did it on purpose. <laughs> right. Uh, Dan Duran, here's the news. Yes. If you have a bad heart, mining a new one from a pig may be for you. U.S. surgeons transplanted a pig heart into a human patient for the first time last week, and the guy is still alive. What? Now, it's too soon to know if the operation really is going to work, but the doctors at the University of Maryland Medical Center say they transplanted a heart from a genetically modified animal into a human. And one of the problems has been, without that genetic modification, has been immediate rejection. So far, the patient, David Bennett, 57, was dying and eligible for a heart transplant, is fine. He's still alive. Now, there's a huge shortage of human organs donated for transplant, and so that's driving scientists to find other ways around it, and using animal organs is one of the options. Mm-hmm. So they've been trying this for years. I remember way back, like in, uh, this is 1984, where uh, baby Faye, yeah. a dying infant, had a baboon heart and mm-hmm. lived for 21 days. Well, now, uh, well, as far as baboons go, these guys practice to see if this would work on baboons by transplanting 50 or so pig hearts into 50 or so baboons. Wait a minute. Wait, <laughs> wait a second here. Hang on. Yeah. So they, what, they set up a, a conveyor of baboons? Pig heart. I just saw this whole thing of the whole line of baboons with no hearts in them. Pig just heart, like pig the, heart. <laughs> I just see <laughs> See which one lives? <laughs> just, like, just like the chocolate factory. Yeah, that's right. Lucy just Ball. like yeah, Lucy, Fred. Like, yeah, the baboons, pigs, hearts yeah. everywhere. On a, on a serious note, yes. though, I read this story and my mind started to, uh, you know, fly. It's like, you know, if these pig hearts do work, I mean, there, there could be heart farms, so to speak, where they could raise these style of pigs and just have them in a barnyard. Uh, somewhere waiting for people who need hearts. I mean, it really is something. Imagine that if they do work. Uh, 
long term. Yeah, of course you're going to get the PETA people pissed off that you're using pigs. Well, not only that, their like, hearts. But huh? I mean, if you're a, you know, I'm, it wouldn't buy, it wouldn't bother me, obviously. But if you're a you know, religious Jew and the only way you can live is to right. have a pig heart, then mm-hmm. you go, all right, I don't normally <laughs> eat bacon, but in this case. I'll try a little pig heart. Yeah, that guy, that guy who got the pig heart, they asked him how he felt, and he said, oink, oink. <laughs> <laughs> really? So is that in chapter six of dad jokes? Or Hold on. <laughs> French dad jokes? <laughs> I, er, did, I did he, he say, and then, yeah. hang on, did he go oink, oink? Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. All right. Um, All right. Well, there you go, Dan. Uh, is That's a great story. Very I, good I mean, story. Mm-hmm. Do you have any? Is there any more stories, Dan? Around? Well, there is another story that does have to do with animals. All right, we love animals. So stories. we can we can go into it. According to the Toronto Star, there's a discussion of whether Toronto's mounted unit of the police force is worth the cost. So this year's Toronto mounted unit has its 24 horses costing $5.9 million. And I guess when they're going over the whole animal budget, whether or not uh, that's worth it or not. So mm. there's a discussion afoot. I don't know. What do you guys think? Should well, they have the mounted police or not the mounted police? I will, I'll tell you, my, my question is, first of all, I love them. I love seeing them in the city, but I'm not sure how effective they are anymore because really outside of, I don't know, another person on horse, what there's no, you, if you're on a bike, you can outrun the horse. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what, why are they still, who are they chasing? They're not chasing, other than somebody yeah. getting loose on a horseback. So right. what you're saying is they're kind of outdated because police cars. Well, yeah, but, because criminals aren't typically on horseback. Right. But their defense is that they uh, there's crowd control, yes, large sporting events, yeah. demonstrations, you know, and it's a little more intimidating. You may, the work of 10 guys in crowd control, oh, maybe I, one horse kind of thing. Yep. I, I totally uh, get that. I'm scared shitless of, uh, of, of horses. Uh, um this hits home with me. I grew up Birchmount Eglinton. Um, there is a, I think it's 42 division in Scarborough. There were stables there where they had horses. So in my neighborhood, they would often walk them around the streets of my neighborhood. And what used to fascinate us was if the dog, if the horses like shit on the road, like big piles of that. Yeah, big, crap, huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How quickly it was picked up. Like it was amazing. So I guess the cop would radio and say, hey, my horse just shit at Chopin and Mozart. And within minutes, somebody would come <laughs> and scrape it up. One, one out of 12. From my youth. <laughs> one out of, here's how old we are. One out of 12. One out of 12. There's a giant pile of shit in front of Fred's place. Yeah. Over. Yeah. Over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, listen, wow. I love them. I don't. I did. I mean, I was trying to do the math when you said the number 5.9 million for 24 mm-hmm. horses. But I guess it's all just, I, I don't know. I don't know how they come up with that number, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, it does seem well. I mean, there, there's. I mean, there's uh, like 120 thousand set aside for the animal supplies alone, and then there's you know the uh, cost of the the uh, salaries for the uh, for the uh, okay, but 24 salaries, even 24 salaries at 100 grand is only 2.4 million, and then the food. Uh, okay, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. Let's not get you know what Dan. Let's not get bogged down in the numbers, but they don't <laughs> seem facts. to add up. You know, yeah. it's just another thing in this wild world of restraint and budgets and overspending. That may go the way of, uh, you know, it's sad. 
But the, I, I could see them putting an end to that. Well, yeah, well, I was going to say it's, it's antiquated on the surface. But, you know, it, again, when they're used downtown, it's after usually after a hockey game or something when you see them sort of trotting down the streets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're beautiful horses, too. And they're also so well trained and so well behaved because, you know, they're you think about it like I've, I've been on horseback when somebody honked a horn, you know, miles away and my horse got jittery. Right. Imagine being in the city like and, and that's got to be unnerving for those cops, because at any moment that horse might get spooked. Mm hmm. So they have to be very careful about the kind of horses they use and the kind of training that those horses have. Because if a horse gets spooked and right. kicks somebody in the head, they're going yeah. to die. Yeah, I'd say. Um, what quickly comes to mind with that? I think it's the video uh, Bob Cajun, where Gord Downey is on a horse. Part of that video for Bob Cajun, I think he's dressed as a cop on a horse. Just oh, yeah? came to mind. Yeah, something to do with the lyrics in the song. Really? Yeah, I, uh, I, I just came to I, mind. Really? Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Gordy, you know. There's a horse in this song. You know. Somewhere in this song yeah, is... a video, unless I got the wrong song. The wrong <laughs> it doesn't video. matter. There, there's one. There's one where Gord's on a, on a so, horse as a cop. Yeah. Okay, so is that... In, yeah. Maybe that's cop Cajun. Maybe when he goes, that <laughs> night in Toronto... When I was on a horseback. Yeah. All right, well, maybe... I left your house this morning. On horseback. You see, he le- maybe he left your house this morning on horseback. Okay. Dan Duran, thank you for your service to this country. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for giving this uh, window into the uh, to what's happening in this world. I'll tell you right now, day this, day. Well, what's, if you're listening to us across the country and you've been experiencing the extreme cold, I mean, Western Canada has been in a deep freeze for quite a while. And, and during the Christmas break there, it was like six degrees here and minus 47 in Moose Jaw. Well... Uh, now it is uh, going to be brutal here today. There's an extreme cold warning in effect. It was so cold this morning. I was taking Stan out, then I took out the the bins for the garbage service, and I was like, "This is as cold." And I come back in, and right, sure enough, a weather network's got the red banner. Mm-hmm. A period of very cold wind chills. Right now, it feels like minus twenty eight here. Mm-hmm. And again, if you're listening to us outside of Toronto, you're like, "Oh, well, yeah, it's been cold here. Why is it worse when it's in Toronto?" Well, because it is. It's worse here. Yeah, but it is minus 28, actually, where I am right now. Is it? I, yeah. yeah. It's minus 28. I won't be going for a walk today. You know, there's a there's a break point for me where it's no longer enjoyable. I went out you with... Know, that, you know that saying, to freeze your nuts off? Has anyone ever really had their nuts frozen off? Like, I mean, seriously. Oh, uh, froze my nuts off. Well, what, what does that mean? I agree, they man. So, they get so frozen, like you bang them and they like fall Yeah, they off. fall right off. It's just like, who's that happened to? I don't Cover know. Who, nuts. Uh, who's if that's happened nuts. to you, please let us know. We'd well, like to yeah. have you on well, the show. Okay. That's one, of the, that's one of the things. Exposed nuts freeze in so many minutes, right? Sure. So, that's yeah, what the Mother yeah, Network has that thing. Oh. Um, <laughs> who's ever... Who's ever fucked the shit out of anybody? <laughs> like... Like, if you have, I, who would, why would you tell? I mean, oh, yeah, I, I fucked the shit out of her. What? Really? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Really? How does that <laughs> work? How did that work? Um, did you stop? Did you clean it up? Did you ever see the remake of The Heartbreak Kid? Uh, I, I didn't see the original. Well, no, of course. Okay. Everyone, Charles well, Grodin. The original was great. Uh, what's her face? Uh, mm-hmm. What's her face? Sybil Shepard. Sybil Shepard, that's right. Yeah. Why, with the, who, who's in the remake of it? Uh, ben Stiller and some woman. Anyway, 
So I, the other day, I just saw the beginning of it somehow, and I thought that looks good because Ben's in it and his dad's in it. Right. Um, right. Jerry, uh, what's his face? Yeah, Jerry and Stiller. It, it, yeah, it was one of these movies where the first 20 or 30 minutes, I thought, this is going to be a neat movie. Never, ever have I seen a movie fall off the fucking table like that movie. Like, by the end, it was just nonsense shit. But the reason I bring it up is you said fuck the shit out of her. You know, this girl that he marries, they're in bed and she's going, pile drive me, pile drive me. <laughs> she's using all these terms for wanting to get the shit fucked out of her, right? That's <laughs> funny. Go oh, use the jackhammer, use the jackhammer. And at one point, Elise said to me, is that a thing? <laughs> You're like, not in our marriage, it's not. <laughs> I can't I I can imagine. You. I'd love to see your version of the pile driver, some weak attempt, some tiny thrust. But I, after the movie, I said, to the, this is one of those things where he's had a movie deal and he's had to do so many. Like, this is just right. so, by the end of it, it was just such crap nonsense that... Hey, do yourself a favor. Avoid it. You know, I do remember now that you mentioned Ben Stiller. The original was one of those movies that was fairly iconic for a long time. Charles Grodin was in it. I'm not 100% sure who the director was, but it was somebody famous. Yes. Uh, But, yeah, I do recall that Ben Stiller had a a remake. But there's all those phrases. You know, freeze your nuts off. uh, Cold as a witch's tit. Is that another one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who, who's ever? Oh yeah. Why? How is? Is that because the witch's tit? Because she's a witch, her tits cold. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, you know, like it's like somebody was, Pardon me. She doesn't like to be pile driven or have the jackhammer. Right? They're not into sex, I guess. So their tits are cold all the time. But who found out? It's it like, oh, I, don't know. I, I was. I don't hey, know. the other night I was feeling up a witch's tit. It was cold. <laughs> it's so cold. <laughs> oh, really? Tell me about. It. Oh yeah, I touched her tit. Almost froze my nuts off. Mm-hmm. And that made me not want to fuck the shit out of her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I I, you know what I love is that we're having this discussion. So Julie Adam is going to go to the I office know. today and say, I was on the Humble and Fred show. And, mm-hmm. oh, they've just they've grown so much. Their, their show is popular. They've got all this advertising. Oh, oh, why don't you have a listen? And then, of course, they listen. And then this is the part they hear. Make the shit out of it. What's that on the sidewalk? Oh, a guy's nuts must have froze off. <laughs> That's I right. See. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I just stepped on some nuts. They were frozen yeah. off. Pick, the, pick those up. Maybe we can find the owner. Uh-huh. Or maybe she's like, hey, Ross. Mocha. Go listen to The spring cleanup on the, on the frozen nuts is really, uh, is really a tough one. Oh, my God. Uh, so we're going to get... It's weird. The weather here is kind of strange because it's going to be like... I guess... Oh, back to... By the way, before I forget. Yeah, I, I took Stan out yesterday. And my goal was to walk for 30 minutes in my little park area. And I got to about the 15-minute mark. And I am fully like multi-layers, snow gloves on, toque, scarf, and my fingers started to get a little bit cold. And I thought, you know, if I'm getting cold through all of this, I got to get this dog off the field. Because he was just running around happily. But when I told him, I'm like, okay, buddy, let's go. (laughs) He just fucking made a beeline for the car. He was like, I'm done. Let's get out of here. My dog yesterday had uh, was like lifting his little paw, yeah, little paw, you know, his labradoodle paw, but because uh, the snow was getting caught in his uh, yeah. in his paw, and uh, he wasn't freezing. liking it. Yeah, yeah it's freezing, freezing immediately. Yeah. I, yeah. I had to suspend the whole thing. It didn't, yeah, it's didn't no good. Out. I'm not taking. You know what? I, buy him some doggy boots. I tried that, man. I, I I've said that to Rachel the other day. I early on in stands, you know. I bought some expensive ones. They were like seventy dollars for four things, and it had a Velcro strap seventy dollars yeah they were wow. i don't know i can't all wow. i remember is they were expensive and he hated them he wouldn't put them on so uh yeah today's not a day to walk the doggies um okay uh is there anything we missed are you all up to date freddie i can't i've lost track 
No chambers plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's do some chambers plan, and then we'll uh, Dan just stay on here for a second. We'll just talk about today. All right. Yes, uh, Chambers Plan. Chambers of Commerce Group Insurance Plan is the official name. You can find them at chamberplan.ca, Canada's number one group benefits plan. For small business, Chamber Plan is Canada's leading group benefit plan for companies with one to, say, 100 employees. It can work for you no matter how big your company is, what you can afford. There is a plan for you. Go to chamberplan.ca today. Get a free quote. They'll lay it all out, what's available, uh, the different levels that you can buy in at, and you'll be pleasantly surprised that you'll be able to go back to your employees and... uh, you know, declare we are now a company with benefits, which means a lot to employees, needless to say. Chamberplan.ca. Here's a little wall of voodoo for you people. In case you don't know, this song is called Mexican Radio. I'll tell you why I'm playing it in a second. According to uh, CTV, and five things you need to know for Tuesday, January 11th, uh, this is the fifth of the five things you need to know. Mexico tops the list of countries with the highest number of Canadians murdered abroad since 2016. Who murdered abroad? Hey now. Hey now. Yeah. Hey now. <laughs> hey now. Um, yeah, Mexico, uh, to the surprise of uh, no one. I don't know what that number is. I guess I should click on it. What is the highest number? Yeah, more, more Canadians murdered in Mexico. 25 is the number since, 19, since 2016 and 2018, the highest reported years of death. The U.S. is the second-ranked country where Mexi- where Canadians were murdered. So here's how it goes. Mexico, 25. U.S., 22. The next country, Jamaica, 17. Philippines, 13. And I'm going to be honest with you. This Burkina Faso. Are we supposed to know what that is? Is that a country? No. It says Jamaica, 17. Philippines, 13. And Burkina Faso. Is that a country, Dan? Yes, it is. I believe. Where is it? Uh, I think it's South Africa, isn't it? All right. Well, it's a country where Canadians are being murdered. I'm telling it's you right West, now. West Africa. I just looked it up. Okay. Well, that's where we're being murdered. Um, I would say, so you're way better off going to Mexico than you are Jamaica. Because when you, you know, the when you play the numbers, like what's the population of Jamaica? What's the population of Mexico? Oh, I see what you, you mean. Per capita, you yeah, have a better opportunity yeah. of being... Yeah, yeah, I guess this. Even though there, uh, America is the safest place because there's 22, only 22 Canadians murdered in right. America. Country's 330 million people. Yeah, I'm just saying there. How many evil people you know uh, per capita? And, wow, that's. Uh, I'm surprised Jamaica. Like I know Jamaica has its issues, but wow, 17. I know, but you can imagine that. Many of those 17 were probably embroiled in, you know, things they shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. Whereas sometimes yeah, in, Mexico, in Mexico, they just throw Canadians off balconies. <laughs> That's right. In Mexico, we're just being <laughs> randomly killed. Oh, yeah. For no reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Dan Duran, uh, since you're here, 
you know. And whenever, oh, right, yeah. Whenever you are, uh, mm-hmm. I think we should just have you read the goodbye thing. I mean, I could just have Dan. Hang on a second. God damn it. I could just have you recorded, Dan. This episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by Gig Sky. So there's recorded, Dan. Let's let's com- how about this? <laughs> All right. <laughs> why don't we, why don't we rec- re- compare recorded Dan with real Dan? Are you ready? Yeah. So I'll, I'll, we'll do like a like you'll be singing along with yourself. Okay. All right. So in, read along. Yeah. In three, two. One. This episode this of Humble episode and Fred of was brought to you by, by Geek Sky. The retirement Sherpa. The Chamber's plan. Bodog. Bodog. Health Gage. Health Gage. Right. No, we Canna tried Cabana. that. Sorry, we tried it. It was just annoying. <laughs> <laughs> no fault of yours, It doesn't buddy. work. No fault of yours. It was a delay. It was a delay thing. Yeah, a little bit of a stutter, but that's yeah, fine. That's it was quite enjoyable. Uh, thanks to Julie Adam, uh, Andy Palalis, uh, Dan Duran, and uh, thanks everyone for uh, tuning in today. And you know what? In the spirit of Julie Adam... Let me just say on behalf of both of us, you know what? It doesn't hurt. There's nothing lost by being a little kinder to each other. Right, Freddie? Well, it reminds me of the Glenn Campbell song. You gotta show a little kindness and overlook the blind. You know that song? Yep. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Great rendition, too. No. Hey, Glenn, Glenn brought it. He did. Yeah. Okay. Fred, Fred, Fred tried. What? Didn't bring it. Well, Fred could do a better no, Fred job. Fred brings it. How dare you? Didn't bring it. Uh, listen, everyone, try not to freeze your nuts off today, even if you don't have them. <laughs> Are you going to do it, Dan? This episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by Gig Sky, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Bodog, Health Gauge, Canna Cabana, Doer, and our newest sponsor, GoDaddy, powering small business and entrepreneurs for over 25 years and servicing over 20 million customers worldwide. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Durand, and I endorse this broadcast. That was a good drum break. Pick yourself up off the side of the road with the elevator bones and your whip flash tones. Members only hypnotizers move through the room like ambulance drivers. Shine your shoes with your microphone blues.